<clears throat> Sylvia. Yes, Mickey. How do you call your lover boy? Call me a lover boy. And if he doesn't answer? A lover boy. And if he still doesn't answer? I simply say, we're not compatible. What does that even fucking mean? Vital advice for your everyday life. Those three horrible words that no one wants to hear when someone's about to break up with them. We're not compatible. I mean, like, what does that even mean when they say that? Is it an excuse because they don't have anything better to say about why they're breaking up with you? Or is it a real thing? And if so, are we only compatible with a few people out there? That sounds kind of limiting to me. Not only does it sound limiting, but it also kind of implies that we have like a soulmate or that there are people who are made for us and others who are not. I don't know if I can personally believe in that. Believe it or not, I know, shocking, men have used this excuse with me. And I've always found it very confusing because they had spent significant amount of time with me that why was it after months and months and sometimes even years that now they've determined they're not compatible with me. I will open this episode with being real honest that I have a little bit of a confirmation bias and I'm going to try really hard not to use it in this. I'm going to keep an open mind. One of the reasons why I decided to keep an open mind is because my sister, my friends and I have been watching that show on Netflix, The Ultimatum, where a couple goes onto the show, one person in that couple wants to get married and the other isn't sure. And so they give them ultimatum saying, hey, by the end of the show, we're either engaged or we break up. The couples on that show, I could tell almost all of them, at least under what I understood about compatibility, were not compatible. And I felt like by the end of the season, every last one of them would realize that and they would break up. And I felt like at that moment, I understood it. I was like, is that what they saw when they broke up with me? All of those guys that have said that we're just not compatible. Was that what our relationship looked like? I don't think it, I, did, I didn't think that it did, but maybe that was their perspective on it. Maybe I was missing something. Maybe I was the problem. But then without like any spoilers, I'm not telling you who does what. The couples that I thought were compatible by the end of the show broke up. And the couples that I could clearly see the signs that they were not compatible are the ones that are now currently either engaged or happily married and about to have a kid. How? Like, I'm so confused now. So if that's not what incompatibility looks like and compatibility isn't what I saw, then what is it? So lucky for you on my podcast, I do all of the research so you don't have to. If you've ever wondered what compatibility is and you would like to know not only the science behind it, but what dating coaches say that you should be looking for while you are dating. I have the neuroscience. I have the social science. I have the behavioral science. I have the dating coaches advice. I also have licensed therapists and anthropologist ideas on what compatibility is. So I have everything for you and I'm going to do it in within an hour to give you everything you need to know about compatibility. And at the end of the episode, I'm going to reveal what I ultimately think it is. So that the next time someone tries to say, oh, we're just not compatible, you know exactly what that actually means. They're not gonna pull a wool over your eyes again. You're gonna know what that sentence really implies. 
However, I'm going to put a little caveat on here. After you've listened to this episode, I don't want to hear about anyone printing off the transcript of this episode, going to their ex's house, taping it to their face, and then proceeding to write the words little bitch on their windshield in shaving cream. I'm not condoning that, all right? Whatever I'm saying, it's just the truth and it's just the way that it is. However, if you do do that, please send me pictures because... I don't condone it, but I do love to watch it. Like, just an idea. Okay, so compatibility has, uh, I would say, two schools of thought. Two to three. And it seems like everyone breaks them down into three categories. You have the neuroscience, the social science, and then a subcategory, which is related to compatibility, which is chemistry. With the science behind things, I have noticed that they have clear-cut ideas, this is what it is, but they also have counter ideas that can be argued on them. And then when it comes down to the social science of things where dating coaches get involved and therapists get involved, that's where things get confusing, that's where things get hairy, and I honestly think this is where we're getting it wrong when we think about compatibility in a relationship with someone. We don't think about the science behind it, we think about the social interactions above all. So that's the part I'm going to mostly focus on because I want to make sure we're all aware of the pitfalls we're falling into every time we say we're not compatible. The first thing I want to do is dive into that subcategory chemistry though, because it is the foundation of how you find out if someone is compatible with you. It's that instant spark that you feel with someone. The myth behind the spark the spark is the idea that you need to have like love at first sight or like this this fire between you, like the person you're meeting with in order to build from there and have a relationship. The spark is chemistry. It is not compatibility. Again, the spark is not compatibility. Every expert on the topic of compatibility is at least clear on this statement. Chemistry does not equal compatibility with someone. So it is wise for us to not use it as a determining factor when looking for a a long-term relationship. It is basically just the idea that you have the ability to create children together and those children would more than likely be happy. That's what chemistry is telling you. However, that being said, if you do not feel the spark with someone, that does not mean that they are not the right one for you. Though important, that does not mean that it's never going to be there. Actually, the... um, Behavioral scientist Logan Yuri, who is actually the behavioral scientist who works for the app Hinge. In terms of dating, she actually has a philosophy of fuck the spark. She actually says that. Like, that's not me saying that as much as I enjoy the word. Uh, She says, fuck the spark. The spark can grow from nothing. As she says, her research shows that only 11 people out of the world fall in love at first sight. There's a lot more than 11% of people out there who are in happy relationships, I would wager. She also argues that if you feel the spark, like on the first date or in the early stages of a relationship, that is not necessarily a good sign. Some people that you're going to go out on dates with is what she calls sparky people. These people spark with everyone. They're very charming. They're very good looking. They might even, as she says, be narcissists. If you listen to last week's episode, you could tell that those people work really hard on their outward appearance and will spark with a lot of people. So you could be thinking, wow, we have such great potential when actually they just spark with everyone. That's not necessarily a good sign 
uh, for your compatibility later on. Her final statement on the spark is, even if you have the spark in the beginning of the relationship, that does not mean your relationship will last. Sparks sometimes die. And if you learned anything about hedonic adaptation, you understand why. Another element of chemistry is sexual attraction. And if you understand the psychology behind sex, you can understand that though it's an important part of any relationship, and it's one of the main steps in maintaining a romantic relationship over a friendship. But because of the chemicals that are released into your system whenever you have sex with someone, it can actually cloud your judgment. Sexual arousal turns off regions of your brain that regulate critical thinking, your self-awareness, and rational behavior. So that's like part of that the prefrontal cortex that we talk about with uh, brain types in a couple episodes ago. The um, biological anthropologist, Dr. Fisher, um, has done extensive research on brain chemistry to discuss the neuroscience and evolution of the future of human sex, love, marriage, and so forth. And she states that because of these chemicals that are released into your brain, because of the clouded judgment that you have when you have those interactions with someone intended to be casual, it actually backfires on you because you bond with them. There's actual bonding chemicals that are released with you, with inside you when you climax. When you orgasm, you are now bonded to that person. It does not matter what your intentions were. You have bonded with them. No sex is casual. Just saying. That's science. I'm not speaking about it. That's a scientist saying that. Uh, Dr. Uh, see here, Dr. Amy Keller, uh, who's also studied this, talks about how when you have sex too soon, it not only clouds your judgment, but it gives you a false sense of closeness to that person because of the attachment chemicals that you've now released within each other. So if you don't want to just be a chemical addict with someone and you really want to see if you have really good, long-lasting qualities of a, of a good, sustainable relationship, this is their advice. Hold off. But also, you can just take this as like education and just understand that's what happens. I can't control your actions. You do you. You do you, boo. All right. Final statement about chemistry and then we're moving on. I'm trying to be real quick on this episode. Anxiety can sometimes be confused as chemistry. And this is important for anyone who's getting attached to someone who's not attracted to you. The one-sided chemical reaction, anxiety. This is why there are so many people who are holding on to the idea of dating someone who is not interested in them at all, not interested in committing to them because they associate that feeling of anxiety that they get when they talk to them as chemistry. Like we get along. I know I, I feel attracted to them. No, you don't, honey. You have anxiety when you talk to them. There is a difference. Those butterflies aren't always good. So it is really advised to not go off of chemistry alone when trying to find someone to date. And I, I honestly mean that. I don't mean that you shouldn't go out with someone just because you have chemistry. You can definitely go out with someone just because you have chemistry. But don't don't take someone out of your dating pool just because you don't have initial chemistry. It can grow. And it also can be confusing if you have it. So just weigh your options better. All right, let's officially move on. Let's move on to my favorite topic of all of my podcasts, you know, neuroscience. I'm all about the brain. The brain is the sexiest thing about a person I am so attracted to, intellect and to chemicals. I just love the brain. All right, so what is neurocompatibility? 
this is actually still slightly attached to chemistry. So it's like a good segue and that is hedonic adaptation of compatibility. So if you understand that chemistry lasts about 18 to 24 months, that's hedonic adaptation. 18 months is how long it takes to adapt back to that baseline of happiness, that baseline of what we return to after we have a peak or a fall in our baseline, right? During those 18 months, you have what scientists have termed new relationship energy or NRE. When you are in the NRE, you have high dopamine, which is the neurotransmitter of more. It's that that sweet spot where you, you're constantly seeking more and more from someone. And then you also have low serotonin. And when you have low serotonin, that's where the um, where ruminating thoughts come in. Low serotonin people are constantly obsessing, which is why you're wondering, when is he going to text me back? Has he texted me back yet? It's been hours. Why isn't he texting back? Oh, he left me on red. Why did he leave me on red? This doesn't mean that the relationship's over. He texts you back. You get a, a dopamine spike. Oh my God, I love hearing from him. I need to hear from him more. And then you think about that because you have low serotonin. This is what builds that anticipation and that honeymoon period or NRE. So after about 18 months, that returns to your baseline of normal and you lose dopamine. Your serotonin rises, which brings back the frontal cortex to be a little bit more rational. You have a little bit more uh, forethought in your thinking. And you have, because you spent a, a significant amount of time with someone, the neurotransmitter oxytocin, which is the bonding trust chemical. Oh my God, my cat is like acting like I have cast her outside into the abyss. I have to go get her one moment. <laughs> She's bumping the microphone with her nose, giving it love. Okay, I have a cat on my lap, so uh, this might sound a little weird. I'm sorry if the sound quality goes weird. Um, right, so you're driven back to the oxytocin bonding chemical. And when that happens, oh God, you walk right on my computer, Graham. Please don't do that again. I love you. <sighs> Keep getting derailed every time she comes back into my life. I love you. This is like a love-hate relationship. Okay. So when you are driven back to the, that baseline and then you have oxytocin, which is the bonding and trust chemical as the heightened state of your relationship because you spent all of those months bonding with them. And oxytocin, as we know, is also released when a woman gives birth right before then she sees her child that bonding chemical is released into her system. She's immediately bonded with her child and that continues to be released while she breastfeeds. So it's not a chemical that is always associated with a romantic feeling. And because of that, a lot of people confuse that feeling that they get after the dopamine returns to a baseline as the spark in the relationship has died out. The deeper side of the neuroscience behind com uh, compatibility is Atten uh, attention? No. Attraction, attachment, and then commitment. Oh, by the way, the neurochemicals that are released during sex that are making you having that bonding experience is oxytocin and vasopressin. So be careful. Okay, so in the attraction stage, that's where you get the dopamine and serotonin. In the attachment stage, you have oxytocin and vasopressin. Those are also, once again, the two chemicals that are released when you uh, orgasm during sex, which bond you to your partner. And then once you have committed to someone, then you have to work on those levels of chemicals within your system to maintain a healthy relationship. But most of all, it's that uh, bonding chemicals that keep you together. 
So of course, it's great to understand the science behind attraction, right? And then commitment. I think that's well and good. But the point I'm trying to make behind the neuroscience is that all of those things are happening within a month or even longer with someone. So if you have the attraction chemicals going off, and then you have the attachment chemicals going off, and then you have committed through that, wouldn't that imply that you're compatible? Let that sink in for a moment here. Let's really think about that. If you have bonded and you have oxytocin and vaxopressin running through your system, you have this excitement feeling from dopamine and low serotonin, doesn't that signify that your chemicals are compatible enough, therefore you have compatibility? I don't know. Okay. The by far the most lengthy part of this episode is going to be on social compatibility because that is the one that most people hit on and it's also where most people get it wrong. At least in my opinion. You can have yours. I'm just going to discuss what I think is real. And I'm using science to back it up, okay? So from the behavioral scientist I mentioned earlier, Logan Yuri, she defines a lot of issues that people have with compatibility as under the happily ever after fallacy. The idea that love should be effortless once you've found the right one. The idea that love and commitment will just happen to you. So if love feels like work and there are challenges and you don't agree on everything, then it can't be real and that person isn't the right one for you. My dears, that is the fallacy. Logan Yuri actually suggests that if you would like to have a lasting relationship, it's advisable to shift your mindset from this should be happily ever after, there shouldn't be any issues to I've committed to this person, let's work it out mindset. Diane Sole, founder of and director of the Coalition for Marriage, Family, and Couples Education, actually argues that there is no such thing as a compatible couple. All couples disagree, she says, and they usually disagree about the same things. Money, sex, kids, time. So if everyone's disagreeing about the same thing, there's probably compatible people who just have different ideas, right? Isn't that possible? Her idea is that it's about managing your differences. This is me uh, quoting her, by the way. If there is chemistry, then the whole relationship is about convincing yourself and others that you're compatible. But really, you're creating compatibility. And then eventually, maybe 25 years, you'll become soulmates. Those are her words, not mine. Another person who has a very large audience is the dating coach and dating expert, I guess, relationship expert, Spirit. She goes by Spirit who makes the statement that compatibility is more about needs being met over a list of requirements to fulfill in order to be in a relationship with you. She also warns that there sometimes could be this thing that I find fascinating. I want to like introduce to you guys and see what you think because I find it fascinating that this idea exists. And that is the idea of one-sided compatibility, which means one person in the relationship has all of their needs met and they're very happy. And then the other person is missing parts of their needs being met by their partner and therefore are feeling that they are not compatible with their partner because certain needs are not being met. So her idea, Spirit's idea of how to know if someone is compatible, she gives a an acronym, RISE, and that RISES, sorry which is 
you need to have recreational, intellectual, spiritual, emotional, and sexual intimacy with someone to know if you are compatible. I think those are great things to have if you can find a perfect person. But if I'm looking at this, those needs, I feel like, can be met within yourself or with your friends. And I don't necessarily agree it has to be met by your partner. At least not all of them. She actually does bring up an interesting statement about this that um, I feel like she's a very forward thinking person. And she says that if there are parts of that intimacy that are lacking in a relationship, you're still going to want them and you can introduce people into your relationship to fulfill them. Some of those in non-monogamous consensual ways or through friendship. I don't know very many women who would be behind that idea, but I feel like maybe in our society and how it's growing, there are changes to a lot of the traditional ideas of relationships. So it's possible that that could work for several different couples. So that's one idea of how you can tell someone is compatible. But if you're looking at that, like I said earlier, I wouldn't need anyone else to fulfill those needs. And if you're a person that's working towards being a whole person on your own, why would I need to seek that out in a partner? That's not what I need from them. Except for the sexual part. Yeah, definitely. I would need that. Well, I don't know. Like, But no, I think. No, I need that from a partner. <laughs> I'm honest. Okay, so let's go back to Logan Yuri. If her idea of compatibility isn't as much about finding someone who rises to your needs. It's more about opening your mind to other possibilities. And she recommends to find someone who you're compatible with is to look for unrealistic expectations of relationships within your own habits. She's actually made a test that you can take online. If you look up Logan Yuri up, let's see here, what is it called? Blind spots in your relationship or like dating type, Logan Yuri dating type. A test. <laughs> uh, you can find out what kind of blind spots you have in your dating styles that can help you figure out what's holding you back and um, explain to you what kind of fallacy you're working under, why you're, what kind of fallacy is holding you back from finding your partner. The three types that she defines are the maximizer, the romanticizer, and the hesitator. The maximizer is like the optimization queen. That person is trying to find someone who is perfect, who meets all of the needs, who checks every last little box. And so if they find someone who fits most of it, they're more than likely going to not commit to them long term and look for someone who is perfect. Then you have the romanticizer who believes in fairy tales and happily ever afters and Prince Charming is going to wake them up from the dead, basically. Uh, and then there are the hesitators. And those are the people who are on dating apps, but not dating anyone because they are too hesitant to commit to the idea of being with someone. And if you're asking me, all three of those types are highly likely as saying those three little words, we're not compatible because they are constantly looking for something that doesn't exist. Matthew Hussey, the uh, dating relationship expert, he actually talks about optimization a little bit. And he says that a lot of people who start to have challenges in their relationship and or they start to get bored or feel like they're arguing too much, they feel like it's easier to look for something better that doesn't have that in their relationship, quote unquote, won't have that in their relationship, I doubt, and say that this relationship doesn't work, we're not compatible. 
So let's go into a little bit more of like his philosophy on, uh, behind compatibility then. So Matthew Hussey views that the fundamentals of a good relationship. So Matthew Hussey actually reveals this in his podcast on should you settle in a relationship. And he defines compatibility as a baseline fundamentals that all humans would want from a relationship. And then layer on top of that fundamentals that you have gained from your own personal life and how you have developed as an adult. The issue comes around when a person is confusing nice to have things for their fundamentals, which usually means that you have filtered out someone who has the potential to give you long-term happiness in a relationship because you're looking for things that may not give you what you actually want in a relationship. If you're looking for someone who has the right bank account and the right height, if you're looking for someone who has the right personality style, or maybe someone who has the same communication style that you have, those are things that would be nice to have, but aren't necessarily deal breakers. Or maybe they are for some people, but not for everyone. At least that's how I view what nice to have things would be for some people. He says in this, essentially, um, that we should stop looking for someone who ticks every box of our ideas, but look for someone who fulfills enough of it that we can build from there. So I guess what he's basically saying from this and what I can gather from all the other dating coaches is that your perfect partner shouldn't be the same as you. You just need to find the fundamentals. And then there's even Logan Yuri has the rule of 30%. She uses this as like a statistic and related to how people interview for jobs. When people interview for jobs, they have 100 candidates. They would say out of 100 candidates. Once you've reached about 30 to 37 of those candidates interviewed, you can reach the benchmark person, someone who would be very good for the job. And then the next person who is just as good or better than that person is the person you hire. So once you've reached 30% of the people that you're going to date in your lifetime, find your benchmark. And if you can't commit to that person, then commit to the person who next who displays the same or better qualities. Now, if you hear that, that doesn't sound to me like you need to find Prince Charming. And that doesn't sound to me like it's someone who is made for you or a soulmate. It is actually quite analytical the way that it's looking at it. And it has nothing to do with, yeah, but do we have the spark? Yeah, but is this person made for me? And as Matthew Hussey has explained, you shouldn't be settling for someone. You need to be settling on someone. Settling for the person implies that you're giving up on what you want instead of finding someone you can build with and settling on them and creating magic as he describes or at least giving it a chance like maybe it won't work out but you could at least try also like earlier what i was talking about dating coaches don't believe that you need to have the same communication style in order to be to be quote unquote compatible with them just as long as you're having healthy communication and you're flexible about the way you communicate. They don't have to know how to communicate your way. They don't have to meet you at your level, but they should at least be able to communicate what they need and you meet it and vice versa. Like that, I feel like is better than looking for someone who matches me perfectly because that's highly unlikely with the people that I'm attracted to. Like, let's be honest. Like, there's there's so few people that I will meet in my life that the likelihood of me finding someone who 
ticks every last one of my boxes and has the same communication style, they don't live the same life as me. They have different experiences. How am I going to find that perfect person? Okay, what about core beliefs and values? This one is where I get really confused because some dating coaches say they absolutely have to be the same or it's not going to work out. And then there's other dating coaches who say they just need to be something that you can respect. So let's go back to the ultimatum show then. Like at the end of the show, how was it that the people that I thought had very toxic relationships and didn't have the same communication styles and they were constantly fighting or they were showing things that they were valuing that weren't in their partner, how did they end up happy? That doesn't make sense to me. Like if compatibility is all of these things and they were showing that they're actually more suited towards another person that they met, How can compatibility actually exist if the people that had very obvious, great compatibility on that show, but didn't choose each other in the end? I mean, if you think about it, even within the neuroscience of it, you can manipulate your neurotransmitters. This is actually revealed in uh, Dr. Amon's book, You Happier. He talks about how people with brain type three who have a very overactive uh, frontal cortex and has very low serotonin naturally. He says if you would like to have a little bit more of leeway with someone, you know, like to like, you know, like do the dirty with them, they're more than likely not going to want to do it unless it's their idea. So the best way to do that is to naturally raise their serotonin levels. What? That's right. You can manipulate that. He suggests eating dark chocolate, going on a walk and eating pasta. Those all give you a spike in your serotonin And they're more than likely going to want to engage in that with you. So that says to me that if you know how to interact with your partner who is vastly different from you, then wouldn't that imply that it doesn't matter if they're different from you? It doesn't matter. Like, where does that come in? Let's also talk a little bit about those tests that you can take to see what you're compatible with. Like this like goes down to like, astrology, it's Myers-Briggs, it's brain types, it's dating types, it's numerology. There's all these different things that you can do to try to find out your perfect match and who's going to be compatible with you. Dr. Fisher actually did her own study that's very similar to the brain study that is done by Dr. Amens, and they look at how the receptors and the neurotransmitters and different types of brains interact with love. And she determines that there are some types that are going to always be attracted to the same type. And then there are other types who are always going to be attracted to their opposites or more than likely going to be attracted to their opposites. And she has a very like stern look on it that that's just the way it is. And you just won't be attracted to the other kind, which I think is actually useful in one way, because that means that you know you're going to be attracted to them and it's proven to work. So In a way, we're kind of made to be attracted to what we're going to work out with. So there is takes out a little bit of that we're not compatible if someone has spent several months with someone because you're already attracted, right? Dr. Almonds, I feel like is a little bit more forgiving in his study in regards to this. He talks a little bit about how his brain types can be manipulated if they balance out their neurotransmitters a little bit. And if their partner understands what kind of brain type that they have, they understand how they function and you're able to love them more because you know why their brain's acting that way. So we have one neuroscientist that believes that 
it's going to automatically you're going to be attracted to someone that's going to be good for you or not good for you, but like more compatible with. And then Dr. Amund, who says it doesn't matter if you are attracted to someone who isn't naturally compatible with you, you can figure out how to love them. So yeah, even the neuroscience can be manipulated. So then I had a thought and that thought was maybe it's not the compatibility that's the problem. Maybe it's something deeper. Maybe it actually is an excuse and they might even like they might not even know that it's an excuse. So that's when I came across an article that was written by a licensed therapist that I feel like I feel like she's on the right track. Like it sits the best within my system, the way that she views it. So let's get into her words. She breaks it down into the reason why people are saying the words we're not compatible. It comes down to the idea of optimization, like we talked about with Matthew Hussey, that there's, there's someone better out there for me. Or it could be that conflict isn't something that that person has learned to master, or they have a fight or flight cortisol rush, and it's really scary for them. Remember how cortisol rushes when we have fight or flight and like it is the neurotransmitter of danger. And so when you have a fight or have a disagreement or like someone escalates in the relationship, they go, oh, no, we can't. This is scary for me. We're not compatible. So I'm going to quote her for a second. When you first meet a person, I believe those partners that aren't compatible will be weeded out on the first or second date. Possibly they make it through the first month end of quote. So I feel like if I understand how I date, I weed out people pretty quick. If I know that there's just nothing there, I know instantly. And it has nothing to do with the spark. It has to do with, I just know that we're not going to, we're not going to work. And uh, it's chemical, it's rational, and it's a very quick decision. Like she says, we're very sophisticated beings and we know when someone is just isn't a match for us. Pause on her. If you know anything about the laws of attraction, the Myers-Briggs, numerology, brain types, um, all of that stuff that I just talked about, then you know that we are attracted to something that we like. And we know when we don't like it. Our brains are made that way. So we would not be attracted to someone that we're not compatible with because that's what it is. It's, this is what I like. This is what I don't like. I believe, uh, yeah, it is in the law of attraction. The law of attraction talks about how when you're seeing something that you don't like, talk about what you do like, and that will give you the path or the vibrations that you need to be seeking out. So I feel like we already do that if you don't even understand it. We at least... By the time that you've reached the age where you should be looking for a long-term relationship, you've thought about, I want this. I don't want that. Back to the therapist. Once you are a few months or even years into the relationship, obviously you should be past wondering if you're compatible. So if you're having a hard time or if you're struggling uh, with understanding why you're having struggles and challenges in your relationship. The truth is that struggles, challenges, and difficulties in relationships have nothing to do with compatibility. Oh my God, that feels so good to read. (sighs) They are just symptoms. This is back on her words. The little signals that point to the fact that either you haven't learned healthy skills of maneuvering through the rocky patches Or you have some beliefs, ideas, or habits that aren't healthy. 
ding, ding, ding. We have a winner, ladies and gentlemen. I feel like that's it right there. You have not learned how to be in a relationship with someone and work out through the rocky patches, or maybe you're not healthy. Maybe your habits need to be looked at. Maybe your beliefs on relationships are wrong. Going back to this article, most couples end up escalating each other. That is a natural course of being with someone who is not you. You're living with someone who isn't in your brain and has different habits. You're going to rise. However, she does note that when those arguments and those escalations turn into unhealthy bonding patterns, that's when you can get in trouble. So you do need to watch for that. It's not saying that like you should stay in abusive relationships or unhealthy relationships. It's to look at the patterns. But at the end of the day, she says that both individuals are just trying to get their needs met, but are usually doing it unhealthy strategies trying to get it. So back to the idea that compatibility is this idea of like you need to get your needs met. If you're doing it with the wrong strategies, of course, it's going to feel like you're not compatible. And she says that is usually when people throw out the we're not compatible card. I want to be very frank in this next statement I'm about to make or her words, not mine. Whether you know it or not, this is just an excuse. Oh, that's right. Everyone better be putting the shaving cream back in their closet. I don't want you doing that to your ex's car. That's not the point of this. Just know that the we're just not compatible card that they try to throw out after an argument. It's an excuse. There's a lot here. So I'm going to try to summarize the idea that relationships are messy, that they are hard. Your partner is not going to be perfect and they will disappoint you. They will hurt you. That is a fact, period. They are not going to be angels all the time. But this is the real kicker, and I feel like this is the point that I wanna make at the end of this episode. If you are not willing to look at your own patterns of attachments and relationships, you will keep ending up in messy relationships that you feel you're not compatible in. It is you that needs to change. If you're not willing to look at yourself and realize this goes back to the law of attraction, anyone that teaches the law of attraction or has read the books of law of attraction, understand that when you're in a relationship that you feel you're not compatible, what you're actually saying is I'm not compatible with myself. I've not worked out the issues. I've not worked out my bad habits. I've not worked out the issues that I have with my insecure or anxious attachment style that I need to in order to be in a healthy relationship. My vibrations aren't high enough. Whatever it is that you need to work on, you're never going to feel happy in a relationship until you fix that. If you're building your relationship, this is a quote, on unhealthy beliefs about love and insecure attachment patterns, it will fail, period. She also states that you shouldn't be looking for the right person. You're never going to find someone who is your right person. It doesn't exist. There is, however, someone who is imperfect out there, someone who can become your Mrs. or Mrs. Mr. Right when you choose them, when you choose them. It's a choice, people. Compatibility has all of these elements of science and rational thought, but at the end of the day, it's a choice. So this is these are my thoughts coming up. This isn't her anymore. Maybe it's not that you're not compatible. 
maybe you're not ready yet to let go of the traits that make it hard for you to stay safe in that relationship. Maybe that's why you're saying we're not compatible is you're actually really scared that you would have to let go of the toxic stuff that you're keeping within yourself. And you would rather hold on to that than hold on to that person because that person feels like a threat to you when actually you're the one. You're the one that's not being safe with yourself. So let's go back to that idea of the emotional bank account really quick. That is not saying that you should stay in abusive relationships. No one here, no expert, not me is saying that you should stay in a relationship where you're feeling hurt, where you're feeling abandoned. If your bank account is not being filled by that other person, then there's no point in staying because one side of the relationship isn't working. However, that being said, if you know that your emotional bank account is closed for business, then maybe you're a little too sensitive to the ideas of what compatibility is. You need to be able to start putting some money into someone's bank and see if they are investing, okay? Let's go back to this therapist article. I wanna hit on something really quick that Hannah Comp, this therapist that I'm talking about, that wrote this article. She says, you're not in the wrong relationship because there are no wrong relationships. The issue is your commitment to an imperfect person. It's the two of you that are creating this mess together. You are compatible. I'm going to say that again. You are compatible. I'm going to say it one more time for the people in the back. You are compatible. Okay. But your issues and likely your attachment styles, remember the insecure and anxious attachment styles, aren't compatible. Those are the things that you need to address individually with the therapist or with yourself and do some shadow work. I did talk about attachment theory in last week's episode, if you want to kind of listen to that to understand a little bit more of what I'm talking about. But essentially, those issues, those habits, those attachment styles are all things that are changeable. Those are the things that are making you incompatible. And those are the things that you are choosing over your partner, which I think sounds dumb because... As a person with an anxious attachment style, why would I choose my anxious attachment style and my fear of abandonment over someone who is clearly trying to be with me? Like that makes no sense. There will never be a perfect person for you to commit to. There will never be a person a person on this planet who is completely compatible with you. <clears throat> I'm getting a little close for this. You ready to hear this? It's going to be really hard to hear. Your issues are never going to be compatible with anyone else's issues. Stop looking for someone to be compatible with. Start looking for someone willing to love you in your imperfections. That's a beautiful person. And that's a person worth being with. That is what compatibility is. It is a choice. It is choosing an imperfect person, seeing them for who they are, and committing to it. If you are with someone for several months and you know that you are attached to them, you can see that you're compatible. It's the work part of it that you have to do. That's what's scary, isn't it? That's why they use that excuse. Now, you can look at this episode and you can nitpick however you want. You can look at this and say, no, it's the neuroscience. That's what's true. You can look at it as these dating coaches who have like actual definitions for you to look for uh, for compatibility. And you can say, Everything that I just said about it being a choice and needing to work on yourself, you can throw that out the window if you'd like to, because I honestly believe that the reality that we live in is a choice as well. Life is a reality that we choose to live in. I live in the reality and I am choosing the reality where I understand that 
I can manipulate myself in a healthy way, not in a bad way. I can change myself into being a better person. I'm not trapped in being incompatible with people that I'm attracted to forever. I can change myself to become the partner that I want for my spouse. And I hope that there are some other people out there, specifically people who are going to date me, who have the same mindset. Those are the people I'm going to date. So if someone is giving you the excuse of we're just not compatible, don't use that as an excuse to get mad at them because that's the reality that they live in. In their reality, compatibility is just something that happens to you. And you have to accept that because you can never change someone else. You cannot force them to see your way. You cannot force them to see anything. Even if you show them this podcast episode, there's going to be people at the end of this episode that are going to be like, no, she's wrong. Well, that's their reality. So let them live that way. Also, I just want to note, just because you feel like you're compatible with something that does not make them your soulmate. And it does not mean that you have to work it out with them. It is all about mutual commitment and mutual work. And if you would like to stay with them, don't worry about if you're compatible with them. Because if you're already with them, you are. (laughs) Simple as that. All right. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. I had a lot of fun coming up with it. It's something I'm passionate about, and I'm really glad that I was able to do the research on it. If you would like to see more from me, if you would like to interact with me, please follow me on Instagram. I have my link account in the description of this episode and all previous episodes. Uh, You could also let me know any feedback or any ideas you have for this podcast. I am, my cat is looking at the window and I'm really scared. She looks really scared. I'm really scared. (laughs) I'm going to end it and find out what she's looking at. Oh my God. Okay. I will see you next Thursday with a new topic. We're going to be following up on my jealousy. Are you excited? I know. Finally, jealousy again. I love you. Be kind to yourself. See you next week.